This is the Most Swell Supreme Storytelling Time with me, your host, Steven Srebrenik. Have a swell day and thanks for listening. Hey there. Before we get into today's story, I just wanted to say thanks to everybody that's had uh, a chance to listen and for anybody that's forwarded the the, uh, podcast to anybody else. And for folks that don't know how to forward a podcast, uh, there's a little box with an arrow sticking out towards it that aims upward. And if you click on that box, it'll give you options to forward the podcast or share it or whatever. But uh, yeah, thank you so much for listening. I hope you've been enjoying it. And um, please give me some feedback if you have an opportunity sometime. Thank you so much again. And uh, let's get on with the show. Today's story is called The Kinks at the Top of Their Game. And so it was uh, the summer of 1982, and the big summer concerts were traveling across the world, you know? And the show I was wanting to see had several bands that were going to play that day. And that band lineup included Huey Lewis and the News, Loverboy, Joan Jett and the Blackhearts, The Kinks and Foreigner. I wanted to see Loverboy, The Kinks and Foreigner, really, as they were each really popular at that time, and, and my sister and I found common ground with those three bands. And uh, the show was being put on in uh, Veterans Stadium in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And, you know, I don't know, you know, for people from that area, Veterans Stadium is now a long ago raised sports and entertainment venue that used to be the home of the Philadelphia Eagles and the Philadelphia Phillies, besides being a great place to see a big music show. So my sister and I, You know, we were both excited to see this show when I bought the tickets. And, um, you know, it was one of those 1980s Ticketmaster purchases, which meant the visit to the mall, going into the JCPenney or Sears, whichever had the computer that generated the tickets and got them there. And uh, she was most excited to see Foreigner. And I was most excited to see the Kinks, you know, out of all the bands that day. And man, it was a scorcher out. But she and I ventured from East Windsor, New Jersey to Philly. I'm here 50 miles away because we knew it would be worth it. And it sure was. You know, like, like other summer, you know, uh, 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 summer shows I've been to in Philadelphia, we were sizzled like cheesesteaks on the grill throughout the day while attempting to enjoy the, the music, musical adventure. It was hot, somewhere above 100 degrees, and barely any water was to be had at the stadium. And it was sold out. And so the field where we were standing and sometimes was sitting was packed wall to wall with nowhere to go. And if you moved from your space, good luck finding your friends or getting another space anywhere near where you were sitting previously. You know, if something bad were to happen, it would be hard to get out of a situation with that many people with the attendance somewhere at over, you know, 75,000. So my sister and I bought a big soda and we thought that'd be okay for the duration of the show. You know, we each had one, and that was uh, a ridiculous thought at best. <laughs> uh, we found a spot on the field just off center to the right side of the stage, about 100 feet from the stage, 
And I had my, you know, usual pile of pre-rolled joints and an additional just-in-case bag, you know, of unrolled weed, if, if I had somehow ran out of the ones that I had rolled for the show. And uh, having a bunch of joints at a show, you know, where you'll be in the same spot all day long, a lot of times works in your favor because if you share, then people will hold your place if you need to use the restroom or if you want to go and get, you know, food or whatever. You know, even if both you and who you're with have to leave for a while, those people will hold your spot if you've shared with them usually. And, you know, and I tend to be a talker, obviously, so, you know, meeting people at a show is not only easy for me, but it's a pleasure I look forward to when I'm going to a concert, you know? I mean, I, I like connecting with people at a show with whom we share a great common feeling about. I've yet to make any real friendship that lasted longer than the show, you know, but I did become pretty good email friends with the district attorney of the biggest jurisdiction in the Bahamas after he and I were nearly arrested in New York during a... Uh, uh, a, uh, a further concert, some uh, uh, at some at, at what was it? The Sony, the Sony Theater, I think it was called, or maybe no, that's what it was. It was called the Kodak Theater, where uh, they were hardcore about nobody smoking weed there. And I mean, what a joke it was, because you know so many other drugs are being consumed instead. But the thing that you know that was that during a concert where they didn't enforce the, the anti-weed laws, the rich, delicious. Oh, so stinky smoke drifted through the walls of that theater into the next door where, the, where you know, in New York City, everything's really close. So one theater is right next to each other. And the Kodak Theater happens to be right next to a, 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 the theater where, you know, they're, they were showing The Lion King. <laughs> okay? You know, the... the, the Big, hugely famous and popular, big Broadway show, The Lion King. <laughs> well, during the during one of the uh, uh, shows, the weeds crept through the walls there and got into the Lion King theater. And uh, after that, they made sure that they couldn't smoke pot at the uh, Kodak. So anyway, uh, we were caught smoking pot during a, during that dead show. My goodness, and. Uh, the fact that this guy being a district attorney, district attorney of another country literally got us out of being taken away as it was being pointed out to us that that, that was happening to others in our shoes that, that, that evening. And there were other people being let out. So we were very, very fortunate. Um, well, we kept in touch for a few years and I've not written him since 2014. And uh, other than that, um, you know, I hope he's doing okay. Anyways, folks... <clears throat> It is nice to connect with people at a show for the few hours where you share that awesome experience together. And then, like leaves falling from autumn trees being blown away by the wind, we all go our own ways. Back to, our, back to lives none of us will ever know of each other. Um, that day when Huey Lewis and the News came on stage, it was more than uneventful to me and barely memorable other than I thought that they sucked. They had one popular song, and to me it was trite pop trash, not worthy of my time, being a rock and roll snob at that point in my life. Next up was the always fun Joan Jett and the Blackhearts. Since they were second up, they had the responsibility to get the audience on their feet, interested, make them have fun, and leave the stage with everyone looking forward to the next band. And Joan did not disappoint. You know, with the big extended length encore of I Love Rock and Roll, she did her job completely. <clears throat> and then next up was Loverboy. Now, it's easy to dismiss a band like this because, you know, they're, they're a few-hit band with no album that stands out as incredible. But the kicker is that the few hits that they had 
like everybody who's working for the weekend or when it's over or turn me loose. All good songs were, you know, the highlight of their short set. So even now, 37 years later, I, I recall not only their performance, but still hear those songs regularly on classic rock radio stations. And even more, the song that came out after them, after I saw them, Hot Girls in Love, too, is still a radio staple. But also a song often played on stage in strip clubs. So I hear, I mean, come on. She's turning on the heat. She's got the magic touch. She's turning on the heat and it's a little too much. She's turning on the heat and it's a hundred above. Hot girls in love. Yeah, great. <laughs> great song to strip to, I imagine. <laughs> so yeah, Loverboy was good live. And as a matter of fact, I was impressed enough that two weeks later when I heard that they were playing nearby in Jersey for only 20 bucks a ticket on a boring weekday summer night, I went to see them again and they were also great that night. The opening act... Huey Lewis in the news. Nope, I did not like Huey Lewis that night either. But yes, I did like Loverboy both times I saw them. And then in the summer of 22, I saw them again opening up for Styx and Ario Speedwagon. And they were still a lot of fun playing all those same great songs. Nothing more, though. You know, just there are seven great songs and that's about it. So anyway, going back to that day in 1982... I was getting antsy because the kinks were up next, you know, and, and I was super thirsty before the end of Loverboy and heard the songs I knew by them. So I asked the people around the area where we were sitting and standing for the day to hold our spot because I befriended everyone around us with the many joints I shared with them. And yes, they held our spot as we went to the bathroom before Loverboy and they and, and we got our drinks as well. And, you know, it was it was great timing because the bathrooms are practically empty. And the food concession stands were also relatively low in volume of customers at that moment. And, you know, we grabbed our snacks and drinks and we made our way back down to where we were hanging. And as soon as Loverboy finished up, just as we returned, the stadium floor became much less crowded as many folks left the field to go to the bathroom and get food and drinks. And our timing was impeccable because also we now had some freedom of space for a little while during the intermission. Now, the year before, in 1981... You know, there was a resurgence for the Kinks, leading to a great several years of their older music being prevalent on the radio, as well as several new hits and music videos that were mainstays for video programming in the upcoming years after the advent of MTV back in, you know, 1983. Um, the, the, the live Kinks album from 1978 was still resonating on classic rock radio, with, you know, the live version of Lola being ever popular, and as well as the Kinks studio album, Low Budget, which had the disco hit. I wish I could fly like Superman. And uh, let's see. And then um, and uh, and then others that propelled the British not 1960s rock and roll hit makers back into the, you know, the spotlight. And when they came out, wow. I mean, just wow. Just freaking wow. The lead singer and 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 half the songwriting team of the Kinks, Ray Davies, immediately connected with the audience. He was funny, personable, energetic, said all the right things to motivate and entertain, and he sang like a champ. They came out ready to slay, and slay the audience they did. I mean, you know, with charisma, humor, sheer showmanship, and a bevy of great songs that I didn't even realize were theirs at the time. They crushed us. It was all those British invasion songs, other than All the Day and All the Night, and you really got me, that I knew inside and out. You know, those two songs I knew because I'd been playing them in a band my first band at the age of 17 and 
and you know that was not too long before this concert. <laughs> Incidentally, I was a person ahead of my time. My band when I was 17 was called the Avengers, and I loved the comics back then. And I called my band that because of my love of that comic series. It's funny how that how popular the Avengers became <laughs> over 30 years later. But anyway, uh, but yes, the Kinks. They played many songs that night that I didn't know were theirs. Sunny Afternoon, Where Have All the Good Times Gone, Well-Respected Man, Tired of Waiting for You, Victoria, Celluloid Heroes, all were awesome live. And, and it was like getting a lesson in rock and roll while being at one of the most fun shows I'd ever seen. And when I say that, I, I, it was really about the great fun and honest energy that came off the stage that day. I mean, the Kinks rocked out with professionalism and a fantastic amount of hits that spanned three decades. Most other bands do not seem to be, you know, having as much fun and connect with the audience in, in a party-like fun, you know, with, with, a, with a musically happy atmosphere. So the Kinks were, were really at, at the top at doing that. And it was a real honor and a treat to see that, that great band that day. I'm obviously still gushing over how much I enjoyed it. I mean, you know, I, I hear that hopefully they may be coming out around again and hopefully they may tour again soon. Hopefully they will. I sure do, you know, hope that. <laughs> and if so, you know, and they're rocking out and not, not doing, doing a, we're old, but we're going to play our rock hits as a soft rock tour, then I would highly recommend going to see them if you get the opportunity. You know, I mean, uh, don't, go, don't go see them if they're going to play an acoustic borum at the forum thing. Um, if they're going to rock, go see them. They're, they were awesome. Every song that they played wanted us to move and sing along and rock out. And, and, and after a half an hour of raucous dancing and singing and grooving to every single thing that they played, Ray, Devi, Ray Davies you know, stops the show to talk to the audience, tell some stories, and then called for the stadium to turn the water hoses on. And then they proceeded to shoot water all over the, the you know, as much as they could that the water would reach for, for, you know, at least five or ten rows of, of, of you know, of water across the, the place to cover the people that never left their seats that were up front, you know? Um, you know, they, they shot them with, with enough water, look like, you know, to, to, to basically save people from getting heat stroke. And, you know, shit, I know I felt like that, and I had stuff to drink, so I imagine the people that were close to the stage and they were less likely to go anywhere for fear of losing their awesome place to see the show. And, you know, so they got soaked. <laughs> It was funny. Anyway, Dave Davies and the rest of the band were tight, excellent, and man, did they get those many, many thousands of people up and dancing around. And then like a quick blink, because time flies when you're having fun, Ray tells us it's time for the encore, and the place goes wild. The Kinks played three more songs and then left the stage with an audience that wanted more. We will return to the segment just after this break. Now back to our story. Unfortunately, you know, sometimes it's difficult to follow an act on stage, if, even if you know the following act is great in its own right, you know? And this was one of those days for Foreigner, as far as I was concerned. And, you know, after the kinks left the audience in a pool of sweat and fun energy, the obligatory 20-minute stage set change occurred, and it was none too soon that they finished because it was so unbelievably hot out when Foreigner finally hit the stage. And, you know, they were a band I'd always wanted to see. And, but after seeing the Kinks, they were a letdown to me, sadly. Not only did Farner just come out and play the songs without connecting to the audience by chatter or otherwise, 
their songs came across as lackluster because when the Kinks played, they were able to take their old hits and bring them into a more contemporary sound and, you know, get everybody to, to dance and sing along because it was genuinely fun and, and, and Farner just seemed to be going through the motions and it, I was so upset. I sincerely believe that, you know, bad scheduling acts can make a, a great act seem mediocre and, and that might have happened to Farner that day. And, you know, uh, maybe they were just hot from the heat. You know, which is totally possible. And, you know, maybe they shouldn't have just come on after a more energetic and more more audience-connecting band. But that day, I preferred the Kinks. And even though Farner was really, really good, their vibe was a whole lot less playful. And I have no idea, you know, of the exactitude of, of the answer, you know, in my rhetorical commentary about that. Other than I'd seen this happen one other time. And and, and after that time, and, and, and it was 1991 when... Metallica and Guns N' Roses, you know, thought it was a good idea to do a tour together where each night the bands would trade off being the headliner. And it was not a good idea. Not only did Metallica blur the doors off Guns N' Roses every night they played, but, you know, at some point during the tour, after a couple shows after I saw them, James Hetfield, the singer of, the, of Metallica, ended up with third-degree burns because of a mismanaged special effect. And I personally think that it was intentionally sabotaged by the Roses camp, but honestly, that's an unsams, unubstantiated, out there opinion that can be called an out and out conspiracy theory with no basis in fact, sort of like my own belief that Courtney Love, while on drugs with Kurt, Kurt Cobain, put the shotgun under his chin and pulled the trigger and killed him. And some conspiracy theories are actually true. And even though that's never been proven about Courtney Love, Kurt had too much drugs in the system to have been able to either put the gun under his chin or to pull the trigger himself. Anyway, the funny thing about Metallica and, and the show with Guns N' Roses was that the one I saw was in the Meadowlands in New Jersey and Metallica crushed the audience and they were not headlining that night. So by the time Guns N' Roses came out, it was anticlimactic with over two thirds of the audience leaving before the end of the show. Okay, let me get clear here. Before Guns N' Roses even came on, an exodus of at least a quarter of the stadium left as soon as Metallica were done playing. So people left not wanting to see Guns N' Roses, a quarter of the place left straight away. And it was not just my opinion that they'd been overshadowed by the act before them. Um, six months later, I ended up seeing Guns N' Roses where they headlined and they had Blind Melon opening up for them. And that night, Guns N' Roses was spectacular. So, you know, it can just be circumstance where, you know, the band before you comes on and blows the doors off and even though you're great, you're just not able to compare with the type of vibration that the previous band gives off. Metallica, who, who could go on after Metallica? I don't think anybody. Anyway, uh, I never went to see Farner after that day in 1981, but I do imagine... <clears throat> Uh, had I seen them without the kinks coming on before them, I might have actually enjoyed their less intimate vibe. Nonetheless, I'm happy I got to see the kinks at the apex of their career. And my sister and I had a great day of music that we've not had the opportunity to do since. So it's a very, very special memory for me. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening today to the most swell supreme storytelling time. And I am your host, Stephen Scott Srebrenik. Hope you have a great day.